Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode number 49, and I am with Rick Denley, the author of Reinvent Yourself. But first, let me pay the bills. If you have not read Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? Sell a Million, it's not a sales book. It's a marketing book. It's how to get people into the store and provide a better experience once they're in the store. It's less than a couple cups of coffee. Hurry up and get it today. And my second sponsor is the Mattress Industry Network. Steve, I'd like to thank you personally for getting behind our show. And this is the only network that I know for retailers by retailers. If you are in the mattress industry, you need to belong to the Mattress Industry Network where fellow retailers help you to succeed. Whether you're building your business, you're marketing, merchandising, selling, there is lots of help in here for you. And not just other retailers. There are owners of manufacturers. There are sales reps in here. There are VPs of sales in here. There are a lot of resources in the Mattress Industry Network. If you don't belong to the Mattress Industry Network, what are you waiting for? Tell them Pete sent you, and I look forward to seeing you. We're over a 1,000 strong now and growing every day. So, Rick, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I guess the first time I noticed you, I probably noticed you uh, through Dan Jordan, and then I noticed you were friends with my good friend, Patrick Tinney. Um, And then I went to your sales uh, summit, and I thought that was very well done, and Your book, Reinvent Yourself, is a book that every retail store owner should have and every sales rep should have. Um, So let's jump into it and and get get right to it. Thank you. Because, yeah, the Deej is great if anybody's following Dan as well with his. Patrick Tinney, incredible with his three books that he's got that are bestsellers as well. And you talk about the Mattress Network. It's networking. That's huge. And I just want to mention that off the start. Join those associations. Jump in with them. The great people that you meet through the networking is huge. And you're right. We can't discount that. So thanks for having me here today. No, it's, 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 it's my, uh, it's my pleasure. So listen, I learned something and doing a little bit of research for the show. You had quite the uh, boxing career. Well, you know, it was something that came along later in life for me, and it was more along the lines of giving back. Uh, It was a way of being a philanthropist towards, in this case, cancer and fighting cancer, quite literally with fight tan cancer. And they took a bunch of white collared people, men and women, trained us for eight months and then put us in a ring in a Vegas style event uh, to actually fight. But the fight was about fighting cancer, bringing awareness to the disease and raising funds for it to help out. And, and that's pretty important. So that's what got me on that career uh, as a amateur carded boxer. So yeah, a little bit different to be doing something like that. But again, it falls in line with my book that you're showing there, which is reinventing yourself. You know, it's never too late in life. You're never too old or in any position that you can't reinvent yourself to whatever you want to be going forward. So let's, you know, I believe that we reinvent ourselves every day. We wake up, and we decide right then, are we going to be thankful for this day? Yes. And are we going to be focused? Are we going to align ourselves 
with our values and are we going to take actions that move ourselves closer to our goals? So you are a coach and you lead masterminds. You do a lot of really interesting things that I'm just fascinated by and I've benefited from. Um, you know, I've been part of masterminds. I've been part, um, I've hired coaches uh, for yeah. sales. I've hired coaches uh, for other things. Um, one of the things that I would like everybody here, whether you're a store owner or you're uh, a retail sales pro on the floor, or if you're a sales rep, you do what I do. You, you help retailers succeed with your lines. I want everyone to hear one message today, and that's this. The worst question in the world, the one that's going to hurt you the most, the one that's going to actually kill your career and kill your success is the one you don't ask. And what I mean by that is you know your strengths and you know your weaknesses. And if you don't, then you really need to take the next step. And that is to hire somebody like Rick that does success coaching and that can help you identify your weak spots because you don't want to do that. Listen, if you own a store, you can't do it with your people. You can't be that vulnerable with your people. You can't do that. You can't afford to give up your leadership position. That's true, Pete, yeah. So you, you only have one place to go. You can't do it with your competitors. And, and listen, if, if, if you have a really close relationship with, with, with a sales rep that would risk his or her relationship with you by telling you the truth, maybe that. I've had a lot of really intimate conversations with store owners over the sure. years, yeah. and, but you're better off. Yeah. The cheapest and fastest way is to find the most expensive coach you can find and yeah. pour your guts out to him or her and listen and mm -hmm. then start to take action. We all need help in some area. There's not <laughs> one of us here that doesn't need help. And I'm going to tell you another secret. Don't ever hire a coach who doesn't himself or herself have a coach. That's huge. Pete, right on. Absolutely. How can they? How can you believe in it if they don't believe in it? So that, can I share with you a couple of things on that amazing point? Because you really, you know, you really hit the nail on the head or maybe, you know, the shot to the chin, if you will. Having a coach is huge and it's so important. So let, let me address your first point for your viewers. I've had coaches. I've had coaches my entire life. I played, you know, up through semi-pro hockey. I had coaches, right? I had coaches when I was being mentored to become a certain level of executive. And as your viewers probably know, I spent almost 30 years in corporate world running multinational organizations. I had coaches to get better and mentors as well. Case in point here, when you brought up the boxing, do you think I just did it and stepped in the ring on my own? No, I had a coach for eight months. In fact, I had three different coaches during that process. We had a mental coach, we had a fitness coach, and then an actual boxing coach for technique. And it makes a world of difference for so many reasons. When you hire a coach, make sure, as you said, Pete, that they have coaches and also that they're in your lane, that they've been there and done that because that's one of the biggest offerings and benefits you get from a coach, you're not going to make the mistakes that they made, that we made. And I made a lot of them. And that's okay. Because as you say, we want to fail forward. 
and keep moving forward. That's what really matters. So as we fail, we pick ourselves up and we keep going. But having a coach gives you that direction. And doing something like a SWOT analysis of your strengths and weaknesses that Pete just mentioned is one of the first things that we do as coaches. Okay. And the failure that most people have, I'll tell you, without a coach, when you try and go it alone, and we've all done that for a period of time, and I'll just ask, how's it going? Probably not as well as you think. You get a coach because if you do it yourself, what do you try and do? You look at your weaknesses and you try and strengthen them all. You're never going to be strong in all areas. A good coach will look at your strengths and make them better and have you focus on those strengths going forward. I had eight months to step into the ring against an opponent when I was fighting. And do you think that we worked on all my different areas of weaknesses? No. We looked at my strengths and we made them even stronger. That was the main area. And you do things like that through having a coach. Now, if you get yourself a leadership or sales coach, selling coach, you're going to learn the up-to-date skills, tools, and knowledge necessary to keep bringing value to your employer and your clients. That's when you win. When you bring those two things together, then you're winning. So I can't say enough, Pete, what a great point you make on getting yourself a coach in your industry. And yet, you know what? Just like you said about the book, go and buy the million-dollar sales book. It costs you a few coffees. Coaching will cost you a little bit more, but I guarantee you, you will get it back tenfold, okay, in the experiences that you're going to gain from that. Yep. I want to continue with uh, SWOT analysis only because I didn't want to do a deep dive on this, but strengths and weaknesses are obvious. But when you have a coach, let me let me walk this back to when my 14-year-old, who's going to be 15 soon, when she was a baby and we would play hide-and-go-seek, I would say, change your perspective of where you're looking. I purposely have done this her whole life, and I still do it. Change your perspective because that's where... So when you hire a really good coach, two things are... Two things happen at once. You shorten your learning curve. You don't have to make as many mistakes to get to success. And number two, they can see opportunities and threats mm. that you cannot see. Yeah. And they will ask you questions because chances are they may not be an expert in your industry. So they have to ask you a lot of questions. And some of them might make you very uncomfortable because you're like, oh, man, I should know that, but I don't, which is one of the beauties of having a coach. So there's all these layers of opportunities and threats that you know, some of them, you know, subconsciously, some of them you've overlooked and your coach will actually say, well, but hold on, this over here is, is a, a threat. Um, and you <laughs> like whitewashed it. Absolutely. And so one of the yeah we are one 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 of the things that i would encourage you when you're doing your initial call with with a coach and you're deciding whether you want to hire this dude or do that if they don't challenge you don't hire them they should challenge you during that initial consult where you haven't even said yes yet they should challenge you they should make you think about something that you haven't thought about. And if they do that and they're willing to not be your professional friend and take your money without 
given you any value back, actually challenge you and make you think. That would be a key. I want to dive into types of change. There's two types of change. And I want you to talk about that because it is more relevant today uh, than 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, Pete, you're right. You read my book, didn't you? I, I do. I love to talk about change when I talk about reinventing yourself. And as you mentioned, there's two types of change. And, and you know, sometimes I take the stage and I love doing keynotes and getting in front of people and speaking with them. And I take the stage and I say, it's only three things in life that are a given for sure. What are they? People shout out all different things and okay, taxes. Yeah, that's a big one. We never get away from death, unfortunately. That one's not going away. And what's the third one? It's change. It's change. There's always change. And if there's one thing that we've learned in the last couple of years due to this pandemic is that change impacts everybody. You don't get away from change. So it's great to really understand change. Okay. And I talk about two types. There's the first type of change that, as you said, we get up in the morning, we do our gratitude right? And we think about what we're planning for the day to execute and so on. And then a lot of times we think about, man, how am I going to change, right? Because we always want to better ourselves. How am I going to change for the better? So we put a course of action in place. And the interesting thing about self-change is that there's also self-accountability. We hold ourselves accountable. Said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now that change isn't so tough. The more interesting change is the one that comes our way that we didn't expect, right? It's the change we didn't even anticipate coming, right? It's that hook shot to the head. (laughs) It's, It's like when Mike Tyson made that thing. He said, you know what? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Then what? That is the type of change that we need to better understand and work within. So what happens with that type of change? Well, the first thing is, is that people say, oh, I'm good with change. I accept change. I embrace change. Okay, good. But you know what? As a coach, like you said, Pete, that's not good enough. I'm not accepting that, that you're just accepting it, embracing it, and so on with change. You, as a growing individual and potential leader, need to lead that change. You need to take the forefront, right? Jim Clemens said it best in his book, Good to Great. When he said, don't just be sitting on the bus, get out front, drive the bus, take it in the direction you want to be. Don't just be a passenger. That's the type of leadership and change management that we want to see in people going forward. That's what your employers are going to want to see in others. And you know what? You owe it to yourself to sit back and go, you know, geez, change came my way. Darn, I didn't ask for it. I didn't, you know, I'm just going to wallow in it. No. That's not what you do. So if you need strengthening in your ability to lead change, a coach can help you with that as well. Whether it's change that you're going to instigate or the change that comes your way that you didn't anticipate. Think about me when I got in the ring to an opponent that I hadn't seen before. Do you not think that things came my way that I didn't anticipate? And I had to change and adapt quickly. So I didn't take too many of these the whole time. So change is vital and how we handle it and lead it will make all the difference in the world to the outcomes that you want to see. That is uh, so important. Saying you embrace it, saying you accept it, that's not, it's not even close to good enough. Lead in that change 
And so what we're really talking about is what are you what are you changing in your daily ritual? What are you changing in your schedule? What has to change? Because something has to change. When something else changes, you have to make a change to to not just survive, but but to really thrive. And you, you know, there, there, there are difficulties in our industry right now. First of all, there are supply issues. And if there was ever a saying that was ever more appropriate about under-promising and over-delivering, I mean, you really have to go overboard expressing to your consumer exactly what they can expect. Because if you don't, you're going to be issuing refund after refund after refund after refund. And if your salespeople are the least bit skittish about managing the expectations of the customer, they have to get coached up. And, and one of the things that I see consistently throughout my 39-year career is us not doing a good enough job. And when I say us, I mean store owners and I mean reps. Um, listen, if we're blessed to do business with a store, we owe a certain level of sales training um, to to that retailer. And that is for you, the store owner, to determine how much is enough and where and when and how. But we owe it to you to help your salespeople to, to manage the difficulties in today's environment. But here's something that is very interesting. The salespeople that were the number one producers um, are still the number one producers from two or three years ago and to today. And the gap between number one and two and between two and three has widened. And, and so why has it widened? For, for the most part, the reason the number one salesperson, whether it's a sales pro on your retail floor or a sales rep, the reason they were number one is because of their mindset, most likely their mindset. And part of that is the attitude and not just, you know, pumping yourself in the chest and looking into the mirror and saying, I'm positive when you're not feeling positive. And Rick, I want you to talk about that a little bit. You know, when, when you're feeling really bad and you said, well, I read it in a book, said to be positive. So I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to be positive. And, you know, there's, there's this thing called authenticity and it's important to be authentic with your customers it's important to be yeah. authentic yeah. with yourself absolutely no it, it's most important it's huge the, no the worst lie you'll ever tell is the lie you tell yourself yeah yeah you know that's a great point pete and and the authenticity piece and things like that we, we all have to be realistic we're going to have bad days you're going to have bad health days you know bad sales days and things like that too but the people that continue to do well in our field of sales and promotion and such like that and why that gap is widening i'm going to share two things with you why i believe 
The main reasons are, and listen, remember too, I'm in front of, I've got over 20 sales reps in my mastermind every month that we get on and jam. I've got 18 sales leaders and entrepreneurs that are in my mastermind and we share these ideas back and forth. So I'm hearing this firsthand from them. And by the way, yeah, the logistics part of our business, any business right now is the biggest challenge for anybody. Getting their products to their clients is the biggest thing. So you have to be authentic to yourself and your clients. It goes both ways. They'll feel that authenticity, which will build relationships for you. And relationships are key in sales too. So be authentic with yourself, knowing that things aren't going to be always the way that they were. So what do you have to do? In fact, what is the one main skill set in life that makes people, I hate this, I'll use quotes, successful, depending on how you define successful? It's one word, adaptability. Adaptability. If you're adaptable, you can change to different circumstances at any given time, whether it's COVID, whether it's supply chain issues that you're having, whether it be price issues, competition, whatever it might be. If you're adaptable, you're going to continue to be successful. Now, to be continually successful, there's another part of it. Yeah, authenticity is big. Yeah, be realistic about it. But I can't get away from the fact that it contains something somebody wrote a beautiful book on called Grit. And grit is made up of two things, passion and persistence. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing in your industry, what you're selling, promoting, and trying to connect with individuals. And you have to be persistent with it. And you mentioned something earlier, Pete, about the ongoing look at ourselves and the learnings that we need to take, which is working with a coach, right? That's a huge part of it. Lifelong learning is persistence towards your passion whatever industry that you're in. I work with people and I tell them, I say, well, you know, how can you help me? Well, I can help you if you're going through some sort of mess because everybody is. So how do we navigate that and get through the mess? I can help you if you're on a mission. I've got a mission in mind here. And that's a lot of entrepreneurial type people. How do I get there? And then the final one is they might be on some sort of movement that they're creating, whatever that might be. But that adaptability and grit come into play. Combine it with the authenticity and the lifelong learning, and you've got a really powerful mindset. And I believe that it's that is what people have that continue to do well at what they do, especially in sales, and why you're seeing that gap widen. Because the people down here on this end aren't adapting, right? And they're not being authentic with themselves and getting lifelong learning as they go forward. These people are. Yep. Yep. So... <clears throat> One of the most interesting experiences I've had is in a mastermind. I was in a mastermind for a year and a half, a marketing mastermind. Um, and the interesting thing about it is we got into all kinds of things because it was all business owners. Um, and there were all different levels of um, experience in that room. And one of the things that surprised me is I walked into a mastermind saying this question to myself. What is this? I'm, I'm going to say Rick. What is Rick going to teach me? And that's the wrong question. Here's the right question. What am I open to learning from this group of 8, 10, 15 people, what am I willing to learn? Because 
I'm going to guarantee you something. If you're in a halfway decent mastermind, there's going to be people in there that have gone through the same exact situation that you've gone through or something pretty darn close. And they're going to tell you exactly what they did to get through it. And they're going to tell you if they completely screwed it up too. And sometimes the most, the most important thing that you'll ever learn is what not to do. Don't trip over that landmine. If if I could pay you a thousand bucks not to trip over that landmine, I'll do it every time. I'll do it every time. Yeah. So Rick, what do you say? Well, you know what? Wisdom is wasted on the aged. It takes us <laughs> all those years to gain that wisdom. And we try to give it back. You've got kids. I've got kids. You try to give it back to them. They're like, oh, you know, there's dad again, you know, doing his keynote or talking about this. Yeah, but it's based on experience, real life experience and not making those mistakes going forward. Let me share a quote from my book with you. Okay, Your ego is not your amigo. Your ego is not your amigo. Set it aside. If you've got a huge ego and you're going into things, even with a coach, even with a mastermind and so on, thinking, I'm just going to be the one telling everybody else how to do it. You're missing out. You're missing out huge. Set it aside. Be humble and learn and listen. Believe me, life will humble you if you don't think. Okay, It really will. If you go in with a big ego all the time, it's going to humble you. I got humbled in business till I learned that I need coaching going forward and things like that. I got humbled here when I stepped in the ring thinking I was all that and I needed a coach. So it reinforces the importance. Don't make the mistake of making all those errors and falling down to finally realize, I guess I do need somebody. Again, listen to people that have been there and done that. Set your ego aside and go in with an open mind. I mean, we were given two of these and one of these for a reason. Use them in ratio. Listen twice as much as you speak, whether it be in sales, masterminds, any given situation. That's always extremely important. So get rid of the ego. And it's not easy to do. I'll be honest. I struggle with it still. Ego's that fine line, right? Where, you know, it helps us in a lot of ways, but other ways it can bring us down and hold us back. Okay. So be sure that you set that aside when you're looking to grow and learn and expand. It'll make a world of difference for you. Does that help, Pete? Yeah, it really does. That your ego is not your amigo. It should be like tattooed. <laughs> well, okay, I got I'll, it. I'll tell you something, Pete. I, I had it tattooed a few times. <laughs> it wasn't the first time. That so, I <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make you laugh. This is part of a question that I asked in a mastermind. And what ended up happening is everybody started laughing and I thought I had said something wrong. And then I realized that everybody has the same problem. And, and I said, well, you know, my industry is different. Right? <laughs> Anytime you say my industry is different, you already know that it's not true, right? It's, it, it, it's all the same stuff. But when we get down to it with a few little teeny tiny idiosyncrasies. But 
I said, you know, I'm often working with a business owner that was a star salesperson, made a lot of money selling, didn't necessarily uh, come from the management ranks. And now they have to manage people and they stink at it. And yeah. And, and, and I said, I just want to know, you know, I just want to know like how you guys, you know, work with them to help them become better managers. And, um, and, and the leader of the mastermind just started laughing. He said, Pete, I've been in three different businesses myself excluding my marketing business. He goes, I've coached probably 150 different businesses over 40 years. And I'm going to tell you, the scenario that you just painted is so common. It's not even funny. It very often is a star salesperson who made a lot of money and a lot of times wasn't even a manager who cannot manage people at this point and cannot market either. And now they're trying to figure out while they're struggling. So Rick, I'm going to let you have some fun with that. You know, at the expense of myself, let me address a few things there. I did it. I did it early on. At 27, I became a manager and a leader of a small organization. I've been in sales about six years and so on, thought I knew it all. And then I was bringing people along. And as I moved into the executive level, I needed to backfill for myself. So what did I do? I took my best salesperson and convinced them, because they really didn't want to do it, to become the sales leader. And what did I just do? I took somebody who's good and enjoying what they do and put them in a position, which I may as well, you know, made them head chef at a restaurant somewhere because that's how different they are. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's great at sales and then asking them to lead people, two different skill sets. Now, yeah, some people can transition it. Other people have to reinvent themselves to get there. But it's something that we do all of the time. Entrepreneurs, which I work with extensively, my main niche areas with small to medium-sized organizations and entrepreneurs are the funniest because they think, oh my God, I'm really good at this. I can go do that. I can lead a sales team and things. More than likely, you can't. And the best thing you can do is hire somebody that can. Second best thing you can do is realize it and obtain the skill sets that you need to become that individual going forward. To, To your mastermind leader's point, In all the organizations I've dealt with in four years since I went on my own, working as a consultant, everyone I went into that wanted me to help them with their sales and sales process, because one of the things that I do for organizations, Pete, is I put in a repeatable, winning, industry-unique sales process that everybody can utilize and make good with. And I'll first come in, and the first thing they'll say, well, yeah, yeah. You don't understand my industry here. It's a lot different than anything you've ever done before. And I just have to sit there, don't try not to smirk and just listen, like I said, with these two and not use this because 90% of it is the same. The jargon changes a bit and so on. But I'm sorry, your sales stages are all the same. And the percentage is a confidence factor in them, your objectives within them from prospecting through qualifying, solution providing, negotiating and closing. Everybody does it. You might do it slightly different, but yeah. So you know what? The similarities are huge. It's another reason why hiring a coach or consultant can help you because we have seen it. And if there are some different nuances, we know what they are and we can help with those quite a bit. And I talk about adaptability. As coaches, we adapt very quickly because we've been with many different organizations and individuals. 
and we can see fairly quickly what needs to be done and then mentor the people and the organization along that path. Wow, that was good. I am going to read a chapter of my book. Don't panic, Rick. It's only going to take about a minute. So for those of you who are at home, we're on page 49, chapter 30. Think before you act, now action. All success-oriented business owners should be creative thinkers. This means they invest time and energy outside their work environments to dream up, to dream up new product, service, and marketing ideas. During this creative thinking process, employee, customer, electronic interruptions should be non-existent. Do what you must to create a creative thinking environment to allow your analytical and creative brain to open up and breathe. If that means coming into your store very early in the morning, then do it. Some people need to change the scenery to get the creative juices going. I love lakes. My best thinking is always done next to water. I know some marketers who lock themselves in a hotel room and leave their phone in the car until their creative work is done. While thinking and creative thinking about your your business is very important. It's worthless without the second and critical part of the equation, and that is action. The number, the number of world-changing ideas that never happened because the person who dreamt it up did not follow through is countless. Am I guilty of this? And I am guilty of this too, so don't beat yourself up. Just commit to yourself that you are changing it right now. From this moment on, take action and get her done. You've heard cliches like paralysis by analysis. And even Helen Keller said, ideas without actions are worthless. The bottom line is thinking and subsequent action are forever linked. Together for the store owner on the road to success. Take time on a regular basis to think. When your thoughts are crystal clear, write out all the steps and then take action. What say you, Rick? What say you? You know what? That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really great chapter to read about. And, and we do need to take time and step back. Um, I, I've got a favorite coffee shop and it's about a 10 minute walk, which is nice. And I take a pad and a pen, not my phone. And I go there and, I, and, and I'm a tea drinker. So I order my, my chai latte, sit down for a period of time and write my thoughts out about different areas. And I take time to do that. But as you mentioned, too, without action, it's useless. So there's really two steps to that. Write them out, give it some thought, but then look to take assertive action. Listen, the pathway to success is to take massive determined action. That's what it's about. And that's what we need to do. You know, don't, don't limit your challenges. Challenge your limits. Or push yourself. And we've heard recently too, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but it's true. That's what it takes to stretch yourself out there. Realize again, put your humility aside that you might fall down, but you're going to get up and you're going to be stronger in doing so and move forward. One chapter in my book relates to yours very well there. And it talks about fear. The major reason people don't change, don't take action on those ideas is fear. And they go, well, what kind of fear? Because there's really a few different kinds. There's the fear of being wrong, the fear of being victimized, the fear of not being good enough. And that's a huge one. In fact, I did a survey recently on LinkedIn. And for the people that contributed, thank you. And what came back as the highest rated fear that people have of not doing something bold in reinventing themselves and going forward? Fear of not being good enough. 
oh my God, I'm going to be looked at as not being good enough. Stop comparing yourselves to others. Be the best that you can be. And remember, that's what a coach is going to do for you. They're going to make you the best you can be. Okay, not better than somebody else per se. They're going to strive to make you the very best that you can be. So look at it that way and take massive action. Once you get an idea, really go after it. Okay, really put your foot on it and go after it. That's what it takes to be successful. You won't get there half-assing it. It doesn't work. You've got to go full in. In fact, tell you a quick story if I can, Pete. It was something that my dad used to share with me in the car, and, and, and my dad's a wonderful guy. He's still with us, thank goodness. And, and going to hockey, or any other sport, but hockey was our sport, and I'd be in the back seat. And at that time, I was real young. I was half-dressed, sitting in the back seat, ready to go. And he'd say, you know what, son, just, just, just go out and just don't half-ass it. He never said I had to be better. I had to score 10 goals or anything like that. And he said, just don't half-ass it. Give it your all so that when you go to bed tonight, you can think to yourself, I did everything I could. It's along the lines of no regrets. And that's the one thing you don't want to have when that one for sure thing happens down the road that we know will. Don't be laying there saying, I wish I had. No regrets. Right. Find out what it is you want to do. Write it down. Map it out. Sure. Then go after it. No half-assing it. You know, I'm I'm writing a book called "In the Car with My Dad" because every lesson that I've learned in life, I really learned it from my dad first. Some of them I had to learn twice. Some of them I was smart enough, and I could learn it the easy way from my coach, my dad. So let's talk about empathy, sympathy, and staying on track. Wow. Big topic. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of stuff in there. You can dig in anywhere you want and work your way around. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, This is kind of like stepping in the ring, not knowing my opponent, what he's going to throw at me. So (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I love it. Listen, you got to be fast on your feet, right? Yeah. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. So that's what you need to be able to do. Um, It's a different world. All right. Listen, I can tell you that some of the, I'll call them leaders, but I don't like to. Back in the day when I was first coming along decades ago, did not have any of those qualities. They didn't exist. And it was a tough environment to live in. There was no empathy. Okay, in the world of workplace and things like that. And I'm really glad to see us moving in a direction that differs from that. I raised two millennials that are in their 20s now, and they're teaching me things as well. So, yeah, have I been taught by the generation above me as you have? Yeah. Now am I being taught by the generation below me? Yeah. And that's not easy again. There's putting that ego aside and being humble to say, my kids, what, what do they know to teach me? They do. You know, I've got two incredible kids. Uh, you know, one's pursued his passion in music and doing very well along those lines. The other uh, graduated with his third degree, this time in social studies, and he's helping people there. So I'm learning from them on an ongoing basis. The empathy part comes in knowing that everybody goes through challenges. And the more empathetic we can be to the people that we're trying to lead, to the people that we might even be trying to sell to if we want to talk specifically to sales and understand the challenges that they're having as well will help us be more human. And being more human is a really good characteristic. 
and, and take it and massage it for what you will. But being human opens you up to more people and more opportunities than being in a box. So, yeah, you know what? Being empathetic towards difficult situations for yourself and give yourself a break. The last couple of years have not been easy for anybody. Okay, you can go on Facebook and these other type social media and see everybody that only wants to put up there all the great things happening. Everybody's got a challenge that we need to be empathetic to, right? We don't know what others are going through too. And if you want to talk about leadership, being empathetic to that is very important. And if you want people to respect you, follow you and listen more to you, empathy is going to be a big characteristic that we need to employ going forward. When does when does empathy and sympathy cross over to each other and start to interfere with our ability to lead? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's times when we apply the correct amount of empathy going forward. And, and then there's times when, you know, may, maybe that's not what the person needs then. And identifying that can be difficult as a leader. Okay. And as a coach as well, you know, when do you want to set that aside and really just focus on the task at hand? All right. Sometimes we go into the war room and talk about a large, complex sales opportunity. And we know that this particular person here was going through a divorce. This particular person uh, had health issues and things like that. And we're empathetic to that. But going into that room, we said, you know what? Let's go in there for one hour and just focus on this. Let's put everything else aside. It's not that we're not empathetic and we have been and so on, but maybe that individual even needs a break from it at this time. So we recognize that now we move on. Let's focus on something together as a team. And sometimes that break can be very, very good. We used to have a saying too, walking into the gym where you had to stay focused when we got to the sparring portion of our training and learning saying for the next hour, nothing else exists. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is going to fall down. Yeah, we, we know everybody has challenges around it. We know that we're doing this for people that have cancer, people in our family that have been impacted by it and so on. But for this next hour, I'm going to set all that aside and just focus on that. that that's, a, <clears throat> that's a really important point. I never thought about it that way, Rick. You know, I, I to, to me, the tipping point is, is, is if I'm adding emotion to it. If, if I'm... If, if I cross the line from empathy to sympathy and now I'm adding my own emotion, which means I'm bringing my baggage into the situation, I could actually be harming this person. And what, and what you said is they might need a break from it. Listen, they might have pulled, pulled you to the side and said, based on a question that you asked them, hey, I'm going through blah, 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 right? But, you know... They don't really just be because somebody was truthful with you and told you they're going through some difficulty doesn't necessarily mean they want special treatment. You know, it's a really fine line. And 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 one of the things that I I'm, I constantly say is you know we live this life with with our brains and we live it with our hearts. And, and the greatest of great leaders are really in tune with their heart and their people's hearts. And, and, and they almost can almost know what that person needs. And, and a lot of times, uh, the reason they might have pulled someone over and talked to them 
was because uh, of a feeling. And the feeling turns out to be accurate. The work hasn't suffered and, and nothing negative is really happening. You know, I, I, just, I had a business owner not too long ago come with me, come to me with a serious problem with a key employee. And I said, well, that's serious. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a decision. But I just want to tell you a story. And I told him a story. And it was when I worked at Cronimes Furniture. And uh, another furniture store was Raiden, our, our store with you know promises of higher commissions, bigger guarantees. And there was a salesman there who was a good salesman, not the best, but good. And I said, hey, hey you know, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm staying here forever. And I said, really? We'll call him Joe. I said, why, Joe? He goes, Pete, because 15 years ago, I really screwed up bad. He goes, I was, I was an alcoholic and I could have lost everything. And they brought me downtown. They, they got me help. They didn't fire me. They gave me a chance and I straightened out and I will be with these guys for the rest of my life. So I shared that story with my with my retailer and I said, I'm not trying to tell you that that's what you have to do. I'm just telling you that I know this guy who would never leave the store no matter what. Money was nothing. So sometimes uh, our, our, our people will go through something that's pretty darn serious and you're not wrong if you let them go, but you might be more correct to help them through it. And here's one of the funny things, you know, usually the right thing is the right thing for business. So just do the right thing. And a lot of times it is the right thing for business, you know, being compassionate, being a human being with a, uh, with a heart that says, you know what? I've screwed up some in my life and I came out pretty good and, and given somebody another chance, even when they quote, don't deserve it. So my, my two cents. No, I love that Pete. Thanks for sharing that story. It's a brilliant one. You know, at the end of the day, I have owners now that I help with their hiring process and they say, well, how are we going to hire now? So, modern day hiring that seems to be successful is based on hiring on values. You can teach skills and techniques and things like that, but we want to hire on values because you want the values to align with yours and the organizations. By doing that, if you're hiring people, one of the main values you hire on now for leaders is do they have an empathetic side? Because that's going to pay you dividends for the business in the long run as well. If somebody is empathetic to somebody's situation, they help them through it, it builds loyalty that you can't in any other way through money or anything else. And that type of loyalty comes out in the people. And if you're hiring people based on their values, including empathy and authenticity, you're going to have some great staff members that your customers are going to see as well because they're going to want to buy from them. We only buy from people that we like. That's a proven fact. So you want people that are going to be liked as well, that align themselves with your organizational and your own values, including empathy. And yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, that's going to be good for business. What's good for people is good for business. You know, one thing I'll share with you too, I always tried as a leader within organizations when I had staff across the nation, 
across the country and things like that, to always make sure to look at them as a person first. And how can I help them out? If they're a better, stable, happy individual, they're going to do better at their job as well. So I always saw that as a very important role as a leader going forward. And why? Because I wanted people to look at me that way. Listen, I went through all sorts too. You can read some of it in the book about reinventing myself personally, professionally, career, sports, everything. And when I had empathetic type leadership, it made such a huge difference to my progress and my loyalty to organizations and people. Okay, that, that's going to be a big, big part of it going forward. Okay, so here comes a, I don't know, it could be a softball or a curveball. You ready? You ready, Rick? I'm winding up. Okay, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. <laughs> Let's go. Going to be a little bit of a combo. So one of the things that, you know, I I guess here, I'm, I'm going to just admit this for the first time in 61 years. I am kind of jealous of mastermind leaders and coaches because I've never had the time to do it. Maybe it'll be a second career in my retirement. God only knows. But I'm dying to ask you a question um, because I know for a fact that any, anyone, it doesn't matter if they're a business owner or a salesperson who is successful enough and has a humility, and that's even more important, to be coachable and to be vulnerable, to take to a group once a month, if that's the format, a problem. Here's my problem I ha I'm having with, with business. I've always said that you you've basically have the best of the best people. They're absolutely the best. And so how much have you learned from your mastermind members? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's interesting because we think that we're the coach and that we need to provide all of the answers all of the time. And it's not the case. It's why two reasons why I created the masterminds that I have and people come to them. Okay. Is that the widespread learning from others, not just me. I'm not some guru, okay, in that regard. What I did have the ability to do, as you mentioned, is pull together like-minded, good people that are willing to help each other. That's a win. That's a skill set. So that's what I've done with the masterminds. And everybody comes with some humility. We start the meetings. I usually start them with five minutes, something industry-related, get the things tuned up and everybody going. Then everybody shares a brief story on success. What went well in the last month? And share that. And why? What did you do that made it go well? So we're learning from that. Then, as you said, more importantly, what didn't go well? Or what are you challenged with? What are you struggling with? And then others chime in to tell stories of how they've seen it be successful in the past. Nobody in a mastermind sits there and says, well, Jim, you should do this. Nancy, why aren't you doing this? No, not at all. It's this is what I've seen be successful in the past. Or I can tell you at least how I tried to do that particular thing and I fell down. I didn't work. So don't go do that. Don't do that. There's learning as well. So you're elevating yourself and your game 
through sitting in humbly on these different masterminds and as well providing back. It's a two-way street that you have during those masterminds. So, you know, Pete, if you haven't set them up yet, I'm sure you will one day if that's one of your goals to get there because masterminds are a brilliant way to help others. It's why I left the corporate world over four years ago, because I didn't feel I was having an impact on enough people. I wanted to help more people, more leaders, more top salespeople. How can I better these people through my experiences? It would be selfish for me to keep them all to myself and not share the wisdom that comes with age. You know, one of the things that uh, smacked me in the face many years ago is one of my guests, who's a friend of mine, Doug Stewart, he said, there is no such thing as a self-made man. And I literally wanted to punch him. <laughs> I wanted to punch him. And I'll tell you why I wanted to punch him. Why did you want to punch him? Because I ate Kraft macaroni and cheese and I ate a bag of potatoes, you know, for a week straight. I, I've gone without, you know, I, I nobody handed me anything. And then I started to challenge my thoughts. And I said, but I did have a mother and a father who loved me. And I did have a mother and father who told me I could be anything I wanted to be. And not everybody has that. I did have a mother and father that corrected me when I did wrong things. And trust me, I did plenty of wrong things um, who loved me enough to correct me, um, who, who didn't accept less than my best. And then I had coaches who literally changed my life. I had some crazy coaches and some really great coaches and some coaches that I needed just for that season in my life who challenged me in different ways and supported me in different ways. And then I look back on it and I said, I'm not a self-made man. I'm the product of hundreds right. of people's efforts. Absolutely. That, and I think we all are. Yeah. You know, we really are. at the end of the day, we have to accept the lessons that are given to us. And, you know, for instance, this show right now, there's a half a dozen things that anybody could pull out of this show. Good. And if they were being really realistic, mm -hmm. act on and better their store's performance, better their personal performance, be a True. better husband, be a better father, be a better Absolutely. wife, it's mother, name it, human, yeah. human, human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's up to us mm -hmm. to, to embrace and make the hard choices of, you know, at the end of the day, I've said this so many times and I don't know how to say it the right way, but you have to say no to a whole bunch of things in order to be able to say yes to the right things that are the most important to you. Yeah, very do you, to do. Do you find yourself coaching a lot of business owners into learning how to say no more strategically? and starting to be a little bit more selfish with their time so that they can give uh, the correct amount of time to, to the things that really matter in their business. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's very important. And I want to touch on two things that you said there, if I can. Certainly when dealing with these individuals, 
Um, saying no is difficult when they are an empathetic type person. And you're right. They have to align that correctly. Even to themselves saying no. Don't go after too much. Find a path, find a lane and stick within it. I work initially with people to dream up and put together their 90-day plans. And we go through a large process to make sure that a 90-day plan in their workplace, business, and personal are correct. Then we stick to it. And they'll come to me and say, well, I'm going to do this. And I said, mm, hang on a minute. Was that in your 90-day plan that you said was most important? No. So then we don't do it. And we go away from it. It helps people manage up and down as well. Because some leaders will come and say, you know what, geez, I need you to do this, this, and this. And, mm, hang on. Where would you like me to put that in my 90-day plan? Because there's no room, remember? I'm full up right now. And that's, an, that's a, a method of saying no politely in managing up, down, or sideways, or even to yourself. So that's a very important point, Pete. Thank you. I want to say one other thing that you mentioned here, which is so important. Uh, one of my keynotes that I give is called Leadership Your Way. And I've taken to stages and I, and I talk to people to understand. I started a debate to start with, which I, I love a good argument. I love a full contact meeting, if you will. And I asked them, look, it, it, leaders, are leaders born or bred? And oh, right away, people take one side or the other and back and forth, which is great. Is it pedigree or is it learned? Those are differences that come up. By the end of it, I'm hoping that the audience understands that it is a mosaic. Like you said, it's the learnings and watchings of everything throughout our life of other people around us and how they lead. And it could not just be in the business world. It might be in your personal life, from your parents. How are they leading? We're soaking all this in the whole time, right? And that's a mosaic that makes up you as a leader because you're going to be individual. When you go into an interview and they ask, what's your leadership style? Well, I'm a coach. You know, I'm a mentor. I'm this and that. Okay, sure, you might be. But at the end of the day, what you are is the bits and pieces that you've absorbed throughout the years, the good and the bad, seeing things how not to do them, seeing things how to do them, that make you a unique leader that you can be. So yeah, be open to all those learnings going forward. And final point I'll make is what you mentioned too. Woe is me. I don't buy it. I don't hear it. I won't work with people that, that think that way. We think confidently. We think positively going forward. And, and you know what? I always tell people too. You know what? Change isn't painful. Resistance to change. That's painful. <laughs> so look at resisting it. Get out in front. Lead it. Reinvent yourself. Be the person that you've always wanted to be, whether it be in personal business or any other aspect of your life. Rick, we're at the end of our hour and I could go for, I've got about 10 more questions. So we're going to have to have you back on in the near that. future, my friend. Listen, um, if I'm a viewer and I say, you know what? I, I like this Rick Denley guy. I, you know, I want to get a little bit more of him. How do they get in touch with you? How do they get a little bit more of Rick and his wisdom? Well, you've got it there, www.rickdenley.com. Set up a complimentary 20-minute discussion with me and we'll jam for a bit and see if there's a right fit to work together based on what your goals are, what you wrote down in that coffee shop one day, what you've had rattling around in your head for maybe months or years that you want to achieve. And if I can help you do that, whether it's an entrepreneurial or personal, I'm happy to do it. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me on your show and to your viewers as well. It's been wonderful and it's been great getting to know you, Ben. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.